So welcome to another edition of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for all things to do with European football. I'm Dotton Adibayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David College. And on today's show, the Champions League group stages are nearly over. So we check in on the runners and riders aiming to qualify. And we also head to Seville, or Sevilla if you prefer, to see what's going on with Manuel Pellegrini at Real Betis. First of all, though, it's been a week in which the southern Italian city of Naples has taken to the aerosol cans to pay tribute with even more murals on walls to the greatest footballer that European club football has ever seen, if not the world, Diego Maradona. And if you haven't already had a listen to last week's On the Continent, all about Maradona's time at Napoli and why it didn't work out for him at Barcelona, then I urge you to do that. But yeah, should we start with that, first of all? Andy, it does seem as if Napoli have given up, has given up all its walls to Maradona over last week. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them were taken anyway. I think we have to we have to say, um, but we always knew he was omnipresent in that city. But it's been a different level, and um, quite rightly so. I mean, some of it has been fate that you, you look at that special Argentina stripy strip that they wore um, in, in the 4 0 win over Roma last week. And it had always been planned to release that strip in the Argentina colours for that home game against Roma. It's just that the timing of his death gave it that extra poignancy and it elevated them to their best performance of the season. But we saw tributes all over the place. We saw uh, Leo Messi with his Newell's old, mm. old boy shirt as well um, and, and, under, under his strip. We saw um, Marseille and Nantes players forming in the centre circle and doing like a, a human M in the mm. centre circle, which was quite a, quite an interesting one. Mm. Uh, Dave, I mean, it seems like all the players uh, from Argentina were paying tribute to uh, uh, Maradona when they scored goals, but it went beyond that, didn't it? And I wonder whether Maradona arguably was more beloved in death, this is, and as well as in life, in Napoli versus Argentina. Yeah, I think so. I don't think that's, you know, a preposterous thing to say at all. I think, you know, he put that city on the map. They will love him forever for that and I think he'll be one of the most famous sons there if not the most famous son um, so it's understandable that he will be like that it's kind of like in Barcelona I'm sure where Messi will probably be more revered there than he will be back in Argentina and when we uh, talk about Maradona in in, in Napoli um, I've got a flag the latest ramble meets which is me speaking to Asif Kapadia who of course uh, is the filmmaker of that fantastic film called simply Diego Maradona about his time in Napoli the footage is unbelievable it's so arresting we talked about um, the internal conflict in Maradona what he did for Naples what Naples did for him um, Asif's own meetings with Maradona in uh, Dubai and all the rest of it and that's that's available now on Football Ramble Presents if you subscri- subscribe to this you subscribe to that so all you do is like scroll backwards a little bit and download easy Talking of Maradona and what he did for Napoli, another eventful week in the Champions League. Um, There is one group in the Champions League, which I think is clearly the group of death, but there's life in it yet for all four teams, isn't there? Yeah, there is. And it's amazing, Dotton, to think that you could get to the end of it with Real Madrid and Inter both being eliminated. You can't see that really, though, can you? (laughs) It's, it's possible. Of course it's possible. Uh, I mean, obviously, what Inter are believing after their great week when they beat, uh, Bruce, you mentioned Gladbach 3-2 in, in, in northwest Germany, is they are already assuming a little bit of what the Italians call a, a biscotto. 
So a, a little um, arrangement, a tacit arrangement between um, Real Madrid and Borussia Mönchengladbach because if they draw in Madrid in, on, on the last day and Inter win, Inter won't qualify. I mean, obviously, what's the difference there is if Shakhtar were to get something out of, out of their game and finish on the same points as, as Inter, um, you know, that, that they would, uh, if, if Shakhtar was to, to win, sorry, I should say, at Inter, then uh, they, they, would, they would qualify instead of both of them. So that, that would be interesting. And Mönchengladbach, I mean, I, I don't know if you could say they're in the easiest position. They only need a point to go through. They've still got to go to Madrid and get that. But David, there's just not the same gravitas and fear factor to playing Real Madrid at Valdebebas at their training ground as there is at the Bernabeu, fans or not. No, absolutely. I think the, the aura has gone there. Um, if anything, there's probably a, an aura of vulnerability that teams are sensing now. I feel like they can be beaten any week. There's not that... Um, they used to have this air about them if they were maybe 2-0 down with 20 minutes to go that they could still come back. It's like, it's not over. And you play in Real Madrid, it's not over until it's over. But I think right now, yeah, I think I feel like anybody could beat them. And there's probably an argument maybe that uh, Gladbach should uh, already have that point. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if, if you think about it, they conceded a, a last-minute equaliser to Inter in the first game, a last-minute equaliser, a last-second equaliser, really, to Real Madrid mm-hmm. in the second game. So Gladbach could be home and hosed. Yeah. I, th- I think they've played the best football in the group. They've yeah, been yeah. absolutely terrific, Undoubtedly. really, really good to watch. Mm-hmm. And that game against Inter this week was really good. I mean, it was it was a reminder, not just of how entertaining Gladbach are. Of course, they're flawed. They're, mm. a, they're a team who are only really learning to play in the the, the Champions League. Um, but Inter, when they turn it on, are pretty fantastic. I, I mean, this is going to be, if they miss out on going through again, I mean, it, it'll be such a shame for them because they messed it up against the second string Barcelona last year when they had it in their hands on match day six. They needed to beat PSV on match day six the year before. Otherwise, they would have knocked Tottenham out in the year that Tottenham got to the final. They would have been out of the group stage. So everyone thinking, well, you know, Inter just have to win against Shakhtar and hope for the best. It's more than that, isn't was, it? Because say, yeah. beating Shakhtar is is not a given, and not well, just because Shakhtar are beating Real Madrid twice. Exactly, and they beat Real Madrid pretty straightforwardly, I thought, this week. Yeah, absolutely. No, no problems at all. Um, they went ahead. There was no response from Real Madrid. Scott a second. Still no response from Real Madrid. There was there was absolutely nothing from their very placid performance from, from Real Madrid, and, and Zidane looked very confused in what he was doing. The players just didn't seem to care, weren't really up for it from a rotational point of view. He hasn't got it right once this season, I don't think. It's it's been a, a, a disaster. I mean, David, is it unreasonable to say that Zidane is paying in his second spell for some of the stuff that he didn't leave in the right place at the end of his first spell? I think he wanted a lot of money to spend. And at the moment, Real Madrid's in a period of austerity and, mm. and they're investing. I think he wanted a lot of investment in the team. If you look at the players that they have brought in, they haven't really broke the bank for anyone apart from Hazard. 
Um, we'll get to him in a minute, I guess. Well, none of those signings that have actually spent money on have, have worked, though, have they? You know, you look at Hazard, and obviously that's a, he was a special injured, case. But he was injured for half the time, wasn't he? But, Hazard. but that's that's part of the problem. That's part of the reason that it hasn't yeah, yeah, worked, yeah. isn't it? And because when he's been on the field, he's looked okay. Yeah, he was he was he was getting there recently, and he was he was good against yeah. Inter in in the fourth match. And you know, you wondered if that goal for him at San Siro could have been a turning point. Mm-hmm. But it's not just him, is it? No, it's, it's Ed Militao. It's Odriozola. It's these other players that they've spent proper money on that have really made no impact. Yeah, there's players who have been there years now who still haven't settled and haven't really stepped up. And the problem, what makes it even worse, is a lot of the players who were already there have completely lost their level. Guys like Asensio are trying to find them for themselves. Isco, I genuinely can't recall his last good game at a big level. I think it was 2017 when I was looking against Atletico Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that's embarrassing for a player of Isco's quality. And yeah. He looks somebody who's just kind of giving up on football. Um, so it's very, very difficult in that sense. And, and yes, none of the signings have really, really clicked. None of them mm. you'd look at and go, oh, he's he's a Real Madrid player. Mendy, for a while, did look like he was there and he was going in the right trajectory. But again, he, too many flaws in his game, too many holes. But Ghastly error for that opening goal as well. Yeah. Which in a lot of places... Rafael Varane has taken the stick for. And there's another player who isn't at his former level. He's another I think yeah. I think you know, they're missing Ramos, of course, but there's more to it than that. And, and just going back to Hazard, by the way, this is, for me, the chief problem here for Real Madrid. I think they hedged a lot of bets on Hazard being their new Galactico, taking over, putting the team on his back, making it his. For whatever reason, it hasn't happened. The injuries, the inability to, to, to get him in there. And as a result, Real Madrid are kind of now in a state, they're stuck. They're in between a transit. They're in a transition stage, but they're neither at the start of it. They're not, they're not at the end of it. They're just still in the middle of it. And I think they expect it to be further along the right, line right now, with the team being Azad, and then going into this summer and just picking up an odd player just to supplement the side and yes. make it a little bit better. But right now they're still at the start, so they have to keep waiting. And they're obviously going to look to Mbappe. I think they have to do something drastic this yes. summer. Well, is there a cultural issue though? Because you mentioned a moment ago, David, that uh, the players. Um, in the 2-0 loss this week, didn't look that interested at all. And I think you have a point. Compared to Inter Milan, um, where you have Inter in a pretty similar situation to Real Madrid, all Real Madrid needed to do was draw, I think, yeah. to get through. But they weren't quite through yet. They hadn't got um, past the finishing post in terms of qualifying to the next round of the Champions League. But when Inter um, scored their goal against... Um, uh, München Gladbach it felt as if they'd won the flipping Champions League you know yeah. it felt like oh what a relief you yeah. can see the relief on the players faces now when uh, Gladbach came back and uh, Inter scored again again it felt like oh thank the Lord thank the Lord thank each time yeah. it felt like they really really wanted to go through I didn't yeah. get that feeling at all with Real Madrid and no. I wonder if there's a kind of a cultural thing you know you can almost sense it they are not the same they don't have the same urge and urgency about their game as Inter do at, think, at this time yeah it leads onto that the bit the main criticism that fans that critics have about Zidane in that he hasn't tactically evolved them that he hasn't taken them forward he hasn't progressed as a coach either they're very much resting on the laurels and some of the players who you know during his successful time he hasn't progressed them so it's grown stale there's no enthusiasm there. There's new, no energy or no excitement. Um, sometimes every now and then the kids, uh, Vinicius, the Brazilian boys, Rodrigo, they do something that, that you know, is almost a flash of what Real Madrid are, what they represent usually. But they're so far away from that right now. It's just very, very stale. And they either need an influx of new players or they need a new coach. Going back to the Azar thing, um, 
obviously he can't carry the can for this because he, he this game at Shakhtar because he wasn't playing. Um, but when you talk about him being expected to put the team on his back, clearly the injuries are not his fault and not anyone's fault. But did Real Madrid make a misjudgment in terms of the sort of character he is? And, you know, if you think of like the previous player they had to put the team on his back, for example, Cristiano Ronaldo, this is someone who's driven to the point of obsession. Now, Azar has always been very clear, that's not me. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he's got the ability to be the best in the world, but does he really have the will to be the best in the world? I think Real Madrid purely relied on his uh, his footballing ability. They saw that final season, especially at Chelsea, and they were like, oh, wow, he's... He's one of the, he's one How of, can that be enough for Real Madrid? Because it just can't. And they, they can easily write fees off. They can mm. honestly spend 80, 100 million on a player and they can write it off within two to three years. They look at how much... They've been trying to force Bill out for, for several years. You know, mm. they, they were happy to write that off. They'll, they'll do it again with Hazard if there's a decent... If Chelsea said, oh, we'll have him back for 80 million, they'll be like, yeah, fine, we'll take the loss. But that's an extraordinary way to look at things at the well, moment when money's a bit tight, isn't it? It, yeah. it is now, but if you think a couple of seasons ago, it probably wasn't. And Hazard was arguably you know, either the best or one of the best two, three players in Europe at that time, that final season with Chelsea. Easily. So so you're looking at that and you can understand why mm. he did it. But I think actually you've both made a really important point because if Hazard isn't as committed uh, as Cristiano Ronaldo in comparison, it again goes back to what I was saying. What Real Madrid perhaps needed wasn't somebody that had the greatest skill in the world at that time, but somebody who had the greatest passion, and that's why Sergio lift up the rest of the team. That's why Sergio Ramos is so important for them, time and yeah, time because he's time got again. he's got the character. He represents yeah. the old Madridismo. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I know what you're saying about that, but I don't think Real Madrid value that as much these days. I think they say they value it, but I don't think they do. I think right. they just want purely, you know, what's happening on the pitch. They they've brought so many questionable characters over the years, and they've also brought people in who have arrived and have kind of being blinded by the lights and just couldn't kick on, even though they were impressive elsewhere. It's funny, when you said Real Madrid and questionable characters, the first person who popped into my head was Pepe, and he's still doing a great job with Porto. <laughs> so he, there you go. He, he, More questionable <laughs> characters is what we're saying. I believe that's the official line. Well, um, it, it, this is a, a difficulty of Real Madrid and into his own making, actually. Did you both know at the beginning of this Champions League journey that that was Group B was the group of death? Could you see it? Nope. No. Isn't it amazing? No, because I, I think you look at Mention Gladbach and as we were saying, inexperienced at this level. But those players who've been outstanding in the group stage, you look at um not just Alessandro Player, Marcus Turam, and player, of course, was one offside call away from having a second Champions League hat trick in three games, for goodness sake. This is a guy who can't get himself in the France team. You know, a player's absolutely terrific. And then you look at Florian Neuhaus in, in, in midfield. They've been brilliant and they're really well coached. They, I would say that they're the best coach team in this group. Marco Rosa has yeah. done a, a fantastic job. They've got a real identity. They're must-watch football. They're yeah. so exciting. And the way they've adapted against the very best teams and the way they've managed the games as well. You know, you think they're under the cosh for a lot of that first game as, as, uh, as San Siro against Inter, but they still managed to get back into the game and almost pick them off to the point where they, they got the win. 
Real Madrid, they played within themselves really nicely for a lot of that game and, and then just lost it at the end. And that has been Gladbach's major problem if you look at this season. The amount of late equalisers they've conceded domestically as well as in the Champions League has cost them. Otherwise, they, they would be up near the top of the Bundesliga as, as, as well. Um, but I do think it's funny when you look at Inter in the group stage as a whole, this was a great performance at Mönchengladbach. Mainly fired, again, as in so many times, by Lautaro Martinez and um, Romelu Lukaku and the click between them mm. is absolutely unbelievable. But I do think it's quite funny that, I mean, kind of touched on this last week, how Antonio Conte has staked his reputation at Inter very heavily on these experienced players. They're not really the ones that are showing up for him. No, 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 absolutely not. Again, it's... It's funny with Conte. I think we discussed this. I remember when we were saying about Inter uh, looking for the for the title, and it's either going to go one way or the other with him. He's such a chaotic man, um, and I think that obviously transfers to his players as well. So it is. It's interesting to see that those win now players that he's brought in to either he's bet on big aren't the ones delivering. I did like his look on the touchline actually, Dotton, on uh, on on Tuesday night. Really, I, th- I think it was. <laughs> was it relief? Well, I think I think it was because of the the coat. And the cap. Oh, yes. And that yes. quite intense look that he's got. He I think slick. I think it was our old, old friend Ryan Hun who said uh, he had a very strong energy of uh, Hitman staking out a future target. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's yeah, I was, I was definitely on board with that. It's a shame you're not smoking the touchline anymore. I think that would have really finished it off. You know? <laughs> Elevate it. Yeah, yeah. Just going through a couple of packs there. Well, yeah. <laughs> Give the man a vape at the very yeah, least. Yeah. But just remind us of the permutations now, this final decisive game of this group. So, um, Borussia Mönchengladbach need a point a a draw in Madrid between uh, Real Madrid and Borussia Mönchengladbach would let both teams go through unless Shakhtar avoid defeat in Milan against Inter and of course Inter in the mix as well they just need a little bit of help but most of all Inter need to help themselves because as we've said in previous seasons it's been them that's made a mess of it on the final day you knew you knew you should have known I was going to do this who's going to get through Real Madrid and Borussia Mönchengladbach. David? Yeah, I'd agree with that. We'll wait and see. Puede armar el disparo, se le echó encima Baba. Rápida la pared con Sergio Busquets, una más imposible. Esta para el diagonal. So, uh, Champions League fixture, closer to home, at Old Trafford. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. Do you want to begin with this one, David? Yeah. Uh, PSG, um, <laughs> they they didn't walk over Manchester United, but Manchester United didn't offer much in reply. I thought Man United were really good for the majority of the game, but the problem is the key moments in the game, they lost in. Tuchel made some te- tactical changes, I think, which swayed the game in PSG's favour. Fred wasn't taken off by Solskjaer either. I think the game was there to be won, Manning I had put it that way but I don't think Solskjaer was uh, proactive enough So do, do you reckon he's just not the right coach to to do it because I mean everything was all the pressure was on Tuchel last night I mean we touched on this briefly on, on, on the ramble earlier but Solskjaer actually was very front foot you look at the team he picks mm-hmm. and he picks Bruno Fernandes behind Rashford Martial Cavani that says we want to win the game. Mm. It doesn't necessarily say we know how to win the game, does it? No, I don't think he knows how to win games. I think he puts all of his best attack. If you look very, very often, Solskjaer puts his best attacking foot forward. Mm. I don't think he knows how to win the games. He just looks at, right, we're going to get goals, quick transitions and goals. 
That is what he looks at. I mean, the, the, the equaliser almost made it for Manchester United, didn't it? Because at that point, they can play on the counter-attack, which they're best at. And in that bit where they were countering really well against Paris Saint-Germain for the first bit of the second half, mm-hmm. that was the bit at which they looked like taking the game away. Yeah. And then you've got the Marquinhos goal, which is kind of against the run of play. Mm-hmm. And the Fred sending off and in the space of a minute and that changes everything. And Martial's right? miss as well, I thought was a key point. Well, yes. Martial, if you, at, if you want to win a game, what's he doing on the pitch at the moment? Yeah, he's just not feeling... Big favourite of yours, Don. No, I'm not <laughs> knocking him personally, but he's not yeah, firing at the moment. No, he's not He's not feeling it and I think when he's not feeling it, then it's, he's probably somebody who's hard to get out of that slump. It'll take a lot to, to really, really, you know, to get him out of there. Um, right now, it, yeah, it does look like he couldn't score on a month of Sundays. Because he had a lot of chances as well, you know. I mean, I like him as a player, but clearly, if you're saying that uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wants to win the game with an attacking force, but doesn't know how to win the game, you can say that again with putting Martial as centre forward. Yeah, and I think it it does make a difference. You you look at these absolutely top bracket Champions League games, and you think your, your biggest players have to show up. And every credit to Neymar, he did. Um, he, he was he was fantastic. I thought, and um, he was he he, he bossed the game. Yeah, essentially. He, he he did, and I think there are so many moments with Neymar, especially in a Champions League context, where we talked about you know the concept of putting the team on your back before. He relishes that. Yeah. He absolutely loves that. He's not always able to handle it, though, is he? And you think there have been lots of moments where his team, whether it be. Paris Saint-Germain, whether it be Barcelona, whether it be Brazil, where they're hitting a brick wall. And Paris were definitely doing that in the second half when United had control of the game up until that Marquinhos goal. And I think there are several other occasions when Neymar loses his shit, but he didn't on this occasion. He, he kept himself composed and that, that's maybe the key to the game. I think he's got an unbelievable and underrated football personality. When you look at him on the field in big games, when it matters... I think he has such drive and willingness to to take over those games. And yes, mm. sometimes it goes wrong, but it's the desire to be that man. He do, he never hides. Mm. Yeah. And, I, and I really, really like that. And yeah, and we know sometimes it doesn't turn out right. He tries to do too much or he loses his shit, like you said. But I, I admire the desire to, because I don't think people focus on it enough with him they tend to focus on the other negative aspects of Neymar which is really really annoying he's got the skills though, oh, and he showed his skills that's at Old Trafford I, see, I think, I think he's got the skills and he has got the character as well and people don't really focus or, or give him enough credit for the character that he's got yeah he's, he's brave enough to fail yeah basically in, isn't in, he in Barcelona they marvelled at him Messi and Co they, they thought some little jumped up celebrity was going to come in there and try and make it all about him but he got his head down he worked, understood the culture of the club, understood what he needed to do to be part of the team, and people loved him. Luis Enrique doesn't like anyone. He hates, <laughs> he, he hates pretty much everybody, but he loved Neymar. He thought he had unbelievable character and, and, and grit and resilience about him. What do you think it is then that makes Neymar step up to the game, as it were, concentrate on the game and show his skills? What What is the missing ingredient that isn't always there or the ingredient that isn't always there when he plays? Well, I think it's an interesting point that David makes that rather than him making himself the star at, at Barcelona, <clears throat> he was happy just to do the work. Now, of course, he's always under the shadow of, of, of Messi at Barcelona. We know that. But we go back to the 6-1 over uh, PSG, the Remontada. That is his 
That's not Messi's. That's his. So we know he can do it on those big occasions. I wonder if the fact that, you know, go back to September 2018, for example, when France have just won the World Cup and there's this delicious bit on the pitch in Paris Saint-Germain, end of August actually, first um, home game for Paris Saint-Germain that season. And uh, Neymar is making his big return at the Parc de France, having got injured um, and, and not been available at the, the end of last season. Hello fans, it's great to be here. I'm your star. And then Kylian Mbappe, who's still enjoying his holiday from the World Cup, comes out in his civvies and leather jacket. It's like, oh, What's this in my pocket? <laughs> I have to get it out. It's just too big. Oh, it's the World Cup. <laughs> and at that point, whatever your self-regard, you have to admit, okay, it's your team. You're the boss. And politically, Mbappe has always been smart. He's always gone, oh, it's, it's, it's Neymar's team and I'm the junior partner. But it's like, come on, man. And I think the fact that Mbappe has become bigger than him in so many ways, maybe sort of fetters some of his mm. more unpalatable instincts yeah. and it puts him back in the rank and file mm. to a point that he was at Barcelona and maybe that really works for him. Now, their relationship is is really interesting because their their futures are so closely tied to each other and at the moment, they can sort of be... It's funny because Leonardo's future as sporting director will depend on extending the contracts of both of those mm. which expire in what... 2022 so he doesn't really have that much time to to work with and of course it's a post-corona environment both players are stepping into that kind of general manager role I guess you'd say in in the NBA where they want to say right well we don't want to shape the future of this team if you want to keep us we don't only want you to show us all the peace we want you to go out there and get us the team that we want that's super difficult for Leonardo. But you look at them on the pitch, they work closer and closer together. And we saw that from the very beginning of that Manchester United game, the combination of those two, where it sets up the goal for Neymar, which is a brilliant finish. There's that little bit where Moisey Ken thinks about it and Neymar's like, no, 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 no. Out the way. This is mine, young un. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he, he takes that. it. Moisey knew that. Though. He, it, stepped back. he did he just in the nick of time. Yeah, of just in the nick of time, yeah. Don. But it, it was funny because you go back to the chat in the French newspapers earlier in the week and uh, they're saying, right, well, there's an understanding in the Paris Saint-Germain camp now that if they want to get somewhere... Um, Neymar and Mbappe have realised that they have to pass to other people that are not themselves. Mm. They have to get Verratti involved. Verratti was just a spectator for that. So how much they are part of the future is um, something that's going to run and run for a bit. In the short term, we have to give a bit of credit to Thomas Tuchel as well because this was an enormous amount of pressure on him. And as you say, David, he got it completely right in the second half. Not making the flashiest substitutions but the right ones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's key. You know, I think because I think a lot of we've said this before about Tuchel, he can overthink things and and try to make the clever substitutions. He just made the right ones this time. He's job safe now. Though. He's job safe now for now. So, yeah. or, or for now, but as long as the looming figure of Pochettino is there over Real Madrid, over Manchester United, over PSG, <laughs> they're all going to be under pressure. What, what, what about looming Max Allegri? He's 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 got quite Nosferatu qualities to him. <laughs> I think he'd actually uh, suit PSG. Better than than Pochettino, I think. You know, if I agree. They, if they went, oh, I guess, but but PSG, you know, 
How much can you rely on them to make the right decision? <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame that Cavani goal, they hit the crossbar, didn't... Oh, yeah, strike, they hit the crossbar, didn't go in because that would have changed things, wouldn't it? It would what, have been what, one of the best goals of the Champions League. I just wanted to see if he would celebrate. My feeling is he would have. Mm, on yeah. horseback. Well, In Neymar's face. <laughs> <laughs> well it was it was funny did you see the bit um, at the beginning where the two teams are introduced and obviously they, they don't shake hands at the moment but where they walk past each other he had a big sort of comedy wink for uh, Mbappe and he just blanked Neymar what do you think he said to Mbappe oh he's still here then is he no you're mate oh, Neymar <laughs> <laughs> There's one or two other matches in the Champions League that we should talk about. Um, Leipzig, gosh, they almost came unstuck against Istanbul. That was exciting. Yeah. Istanbul, bottom of their table. But what a performance by Erfin Jankovici. Amazing, amazing. And uh, he's one of only three players, I believe. Uh, my uh, good uh, statistically based friend Dave Ray tells me only one of only three players in Champions League who scored a hat trick and end up on the losing side. Can you name the other two? <laughs> Don't look yeah, at yeah. me. <laughs> R- Ronaldo at Old Trafford. Oh wow! Gareth, Gareth Bale at San Siro. Against so, who? do you remember in, they were against? So uh, Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo, we're talking about yeah, yeah. against Manchester United in four three at Old Trafford. Okay, when when he was applauded um, off the, off the pitch that night, Ronaldo by the Manchester United fans, and then Gareth Bale when um, Spurs were four 0 down to Inter, and Bale scored ah. a, that second half hat trick. Yeah. Where it, it all seemed like you know he was doing his his whippet chasing the rabbit impression down the wow. down the left hand side. Well, good stat, and we'll remember that for the pub quiz. Uh, so, <laughs> how, how, how did it tend? How did it end up being such an exciting match? What happened? Leipzig switched off a, a little bit. They thought they had the game won. Uh, they played the best football that they've played in a while. Uh, Bajic Shahir were defensively shambolic for m- most of the game, and for once, it wasn't all Gunok, the goalkeeper's fault. Um, and so they got themselves in this 3-3 situation. At this point, the, the Champions League dreams are up in smoke. I mean, we focus so much on the possibility of Paris Saint-Germain going from the final to being out in the group stage. I think we can almost overlook the fact that for another semi-finalist to go out in the group stage, Leipzig would be a huge failure. Yeah. And then Alex Sorlot, who's really struggled to settle in, well, he always scored a load of goals in Turkey. And he scored another one right at the end. And you talked about people looking relieved. I don't think I've looked, seen anyone look that relieved after scoring a stoppage time winner. There was no, there was no celebration, was there? It was just, oh, thank God for that. Um, I was just going to say it was a fantastic move as well. I was looking at the Danny Olmo goal. Oh, beautiful. Wow. That you're, pass you're, from Angelino is... Your man's doing a great job, isn't he? He's a marvellous player. I think really, really gifted boy. And that was a good finish, but that was just a life from Angelino's pass. Angelino has been outstanding this season. Absolutely un- outstanding. Yeah. Now, of course, he still technically belongs to Manchester City, but once he completes a certain amount of appearances, which I think he's about five away from, he automatically triggers the option where Leipzig have to pay, well, thick end of 30 million euros for him. But he's he's so worth it. He's such an all-round footballer, David. Yeah, he's an excellent player, I think he is. Have we mentioned Nagelsmann yet? Uh, no, because he was wearing a relatively sober get-up. 
Um, he yeah. was dressed uh, more like a. He wasn't uh, dressed appropriately. It was more, more like a Bond villain than uh, a budding prom king. It was. It was an early game. The TV cameras weren't there, all glittering <laughs> on him. Just wait until he's got a bigger game. He'll come up with some wild, wild girl. But is he the right coach for PSG in the future? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Um, I, I just wonder for him that that what's going to be the big challenge for him is impressing his ideas on a more senior set of players. That That's going to be interesting because he's a very ideas, philosophy-based coach. Um, and he's someone who clearly relates to players very well. Um, but when you get to a, a point where you've got such a, a, a coach with such a strong philosophy, how does that work with absolute elite players? Because he's not really got there yet, yeah. has he? Mm. Yeah. No, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's why I think Allegri will probably be good. Allegri, PSG, Pochettino, Real Madrid. Nagelsmann, Man United. I, I don't want Pochettino to go to Real Madrid. I no. just think it's just, he's not going to get the time. He's not going to get the support. Mm. But that's where he's going. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Should we talk about a coach that many people listening to on the continent will be familiar with because of his time at Manchester City and then at West Ham? Manuel Pellegrini goes to Betis um, in Spain and it looked like everything was going rosy, that he had turned the team around. But now the wheels seem to have fallen off the wagon. Badly so. I think Betis put a lot of energy into the dream ticket of Manuel Pellegrini with Antonio Cordon, the sporting director had previous success um, at Villarreal uh, in Spain. Very, very highly rated. Um, and it just hasn't come to fruition. Um, I think Betis have done this now for several years in that they've opted for a certain type of project. They keep going from one end to the other, never really settling on one thing, never really building on on the last project. It's a case of scrapping it, starting it again, scrapping it, starting again. They've done it here. And... Now the question is, Pellegrini, is his football, his style, how he operates, dated and finished? Could he be finished at the top level? And and, and this is the top level. He's, he's in La Liga after all. He looks very much early 2000s, you know, mid 2000s type football at the moment. Is it a bit like where the Philadelphia 76ers got their team together at the start of last season and it was a sort of land of the Giants team that you could have seen winning the NBA 10 years ago? Yeah, it's it's absolutely that. And I think you can see probably the thing, the, I'm sure the, the thinking at the Philadelphia 76ers was, oh, we can we can run this back, we can go back. <laughs> this, this worked once upon a time. And I think Betis have looked at that as well. They're like... Oh, Pellegrini, he was he was quite good at VRL for a bit, you know. And he's he, tried he, to convince <laughs> us that it's ten years ago by doing a very very comprehensive just for men job on his on his barnet, hasn't he? Oh yeah, yeah, he re- he really has. Yeah, he's uh, left. I think everybody used to say he looked like uh, I think it was Audrey from Coronation Street. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but but yeah yeah yeah. So he, he's looking good, but his football is not, um, and it's massively problematic, especially. Defensively, Bet is the team have conceded the most goals in in the top flight in the past. I think it's last season, and going back five years now, they've conceded a lot of goals. They've never truly addressed that 
issue at the back and the problem is they are at the top of their salary limit. They've got no money to spend on transfers, so in January they can't really bring a centre-back in unless someone, a major star is sold, somebody like Fekir, somebody like Canales. I mean, do you reckon that's the, that's the way? That they, might have to, they might have to pawn Fekir, basically, because... I mean, I don't get the impression he's at the absolute top of his value. When he's on it, he's on it. He looks as good like, as most players in, in La Liga, but you haven't really got that total consistency out of him. Um, I, I, the other thing I wanted to ask you, actually, David, is, um, and they have been shambolic, particularly defensively in the last couple of games. It's not just a question of the defence. It's a question of shape, I think. Mm-hmm. Now, when we've seen William Cavalio, who has kind of been surpassed by... Danilo in terms of the Portuguese international team. When we see um, uh, William in the first part of the season, he's off the chain. He's attacking William. He's almost like sort of junior Brian Robson. Yeah. Do they need him to go back to being that sort of meat and potatoes defensive player to secure the shape of the team a little bit more? They absolutely need to. I think if they went with the double pivot with Guido and William Carvalho in there together. It gives them a bit more stability. It gives mm. that very vulnerable defence and goalkeeper some protection. Um, they don't really need him to charge around. There's plenty of other players who can do that. For instance, they could have been criminally underused and massive hype around him. Diego Lainez, the young Mexican. Yeah, He's barely been used since he came to the club. No manager has, has really taken a chance with him. So you always, you do start to wonder about that as well when no manager... You know, every single manager that is working with him isn't using him. You always think that's a little bit strange sometimes. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of calls for him to come in. Um, and if you look at the... the bet, I think Betis are very, very fortunate right now that fans aren't in stadiums because Betis's fans are, are one of the most passionate vocal groups there is. And mm. there will be serious calls. I don't actually even think for Pellegrini, but for the actual board to go because there's been so many bad or decisions there. Um, Sarah Ferrer, who's such a huge figure there and, and historical figure, idolised by the fans. When he was pushed out in favour of uh, this big data approach, this money ball approach behind the scenes using mm. data to identify players, there was a lot uh, of concern about that and a lot of Betty's fans were worried about it. Um, and, and that's coming back and now and people want Sarah Ferrer to come back and the current board to go. There's a um, meeting between the directive to come. I think it's just before Christmas as well. That needs to happen. And I think they potentially are on the brink. If they go, then Betis can potentially start. But it is, it's a difficult time. And, and I always think when Betis, they like Valencia, when they have problems, they seem to snowball to such an accelerated rate um, <laughs> compared to any other club. If we can roll back a little bit, because I didn't get the analogy with the Philadelphia 76ers. You know, because... <laughs> The apologies. <laughs> well, the ball game that I play, you play it with your feet. <laughs> but um, when you say, David, that Manuel Pellegrini's style is kind of old school, mm. I'm really intrigued by what you mean by that because I, I do get the sense of that and I get the sense that that was part of his failing at Manchester City and West Ham as well. Yeah. But what is it about the game that is old school? How does he set out his team? What, what, how, what's his approach? I don't think there's any coverage for... He's a he's a very attacking coach, but he isn't. So in the sense that he'll give the he will give the impression that he is an attacking coach and what he wants the players to do. But if you look at their side, they are very, very... Um, very stale, very sideways in the way they play. He likes to push the fullbacks on immensely high without any real cover. So he doesn't counter for things like that. He'll just, he just thinks a fullback can cover the whole line without any protection, for instance. 
I don't think you can do that right now in in the game. I think you clearly have to have a safety net, as it were, like we discussed about William potentially going back to be a defensive midfielder. So it's little situations like that. And the football, again, I just feel like I'm watching a 90s game with them. It's, it can be very, very slow, very, very methodical, but not in the good sense. It's just, it's it's hard to piece together. You can see the players, um, not really, the, the movement is lacking as well. And it's it, it's a difficult watch, I think. I mean, they've, they've had really two games. They've had a poor run of form generally, but the last two games when they've lost at home to Abar and then before that when they got beaten 4-0 at Athletic, mm-hmm. I mean, those were both like big alarm bells ringing. Yeah. Those were both the sort of performances that get coaches sacked, basically. Yeah. Do you think the board getting more heat are going to make him carry the can for it? Or do you think having worked so long to get him, they're going to be forced to persevere with him they've just put so much behind this project I think they're going to go until it gets to an untenable situation they, there's a Seville derby coming up if they get absolutely hammered there maybe 6-7-0 yeah. which is perfect. is that likely? It could not honestly could genuinely it's Seville derby trust me it's uh, the unpredictable affairs well you know what my game of the week is in the fortnight's time Don of course <laughs> <laughs> talking of which so we're looking for a game of the week from each of you. I don't know who wants to go first. Uh, Andy. Oh, there are, there are, there are a couple. Um, I, I probably should go for Bayern versus uh, Leipzig on Saturday evening at 5.30. Oh. That'll be a, a, a biggie. We'll see how uh, Leipzig recover from Istanbul because they had a day's less rest. Had to play it with everything until like the 96th minute or or, or whatever. And Bayern were able to rest a, a lot of players. You know, they left Neuer, Lewandowski, oh, oh. Godetska, oh Toliso at home. They didn't even take them to Spain. I mean, you can't get a holiday anywhere at the moment. And um, you, you had a few like real plus points in the second half of that. Uh, Jamal Musiala, the young Englishman, was was brilliant, I thought, for, for Bayern in that game. So... Leipzig need to do something for the sake of the league. I'm not really sure whether they're in the position to do it. So, Are you um, sure what they need to do? They need to win. <laughs> no, of course they need to win. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking in terms of how they're going to... In normal circumstances, they might struggle against Bayern. Yeah. In these circumstances, with players who are knackered from the Champions League game, how will they set out? I think they can do it because if they sit deep and conserve energy, if they can stop Bayern... And, you know, they, they they made it difficult for Bayern last season, of course, in, in both league games. Um, maybe they can create the conditions for them to flourish on the counter-attack. And that's what they want to do. They want to play for the right to play on the counter-attack. So if they can do that, get Solot in the 11 after his goal so he can get a first Bundesliga goal, I think that would be pretty special. I also want to flag um, Sevilla versus Real Madrid on Saturday afternoon. I think that'll be good. You see, he's hedging his bets there, David. He's gone for the Northern Europeans and then he threw in a sort of a passionate sort of Southern European game (laughs) in there as well. What are you going for? I'm going for Cadiz versus Barcelona, 8 o'clock on Saturday night in La Liga um, I think this is a really interesting one because Cadiz this season they've already beaten Athletic Bilbao at San Mames they've also beaten Real Madrid at the Bernabeu uh, now Barcelona come to town Cadiz haven't been that good at home um, but I think this is a chance they could you know get out Barcelona after a midweek European game capitalise on the inconsistencies that Barcelona do have um, they play three at the back. They're a very interesting side to watch. Mm. They've got a really good coach, I think, in Alvaro Severa, a uh, 55-year-old, who has never 
really touched La Liga and had a, a, a real chance. And he's taken his chance really, really well. He's, he's got Cadiz in the European positions uh, after coming up. This is their first season back after promotion. Um, so, yeah, I, I really, really do fancy Cadiz to, to get the win here. And just out of interest, in both those games, your, your main game and, yeah. and the game that you're talking about, are fans going to be allowed in? No. 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 Which is a shame because this is another thing, by the way, of uh, Kidith, why they're such an interesting team in, in that they have got such a very English-style set of supporters, I think, in the way that they, they, they travel. They're, they are very, very big on travel when they, when, when they can attend games. Um, they're in, incredible in that sense um, and very ferocious set of supporters, but, but very fun-loving as well. Um, they, they love to get pissed at games and they like to sing about it as well. They've got some fantastic songs. Um, you know, they will sing like, oh, we're a load of shit, but at least I'm pissed. <laughs> um, and no, they, they, they actually will. They've, they've done this before. Um, and, and yeah, they're, they're a fantastic side, I think, honestly, to watch. And it's just a shame that their fans aren't there to witness because they've had a lot of pain. They've had a lot of hurt, I think, watching Cadiz nearly get up every year and then they finally got up and... You know, they aren't there to see them in this league. Having said that, the players had a good promotion party afterwards. And I would expect Cardiff City legend, if you can call him that, Juan Cala, to um, celebrate by reposting that picture that he posted when um, uh, Cardiff were promoted at the end of last season, which is him stood in front of the plaque at the front of the club in his strip, smoking an enormous cigar with um, with with the headline "Me encantan cuando los planes salgan bien," which, of course, eighteen fans will know means I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> <laughs> and and not that we encourage smoking on this show, but he looks cool as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Another classic cartilage ending of the program. <laughs> This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network.